In an increasingly complex world, Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor Hat Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life. Step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height Hi, welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig, and this is episode 48. I'm very excited to have with me as my guest, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Randall Craig. Hello, Randall. Glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you, man. We, we just had a wonderful discussion prior to the show, and uh, I truly am looking forward to diving in. We're going to call you a digital strategist. That's fair. You're a guy who knows a lot about social media, as an example. Absolutely. Social media, the web, digital transformation. Yeah. I, I cut my teeth on it a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, a, you're like a hot commodity, man. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you are. You're a hot commodity. Trust me. We'll get into this, but what I'm going through right now, just gems of information, I'm sure, that I'll garner from you. So it's very exciting for me. Excellent. Yeah. And you're also an author, right? Author. I've written a few books. I've written eight books, as it turns out. Is that something? Eight books? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's... Somebody asked me when I wrote my first one, how long did it take? Yeah. And, and, and the answer I gave them was, well, it kind of took a lifetime because it took right. an awfully long time to distill my thoughts yes. into what eventually became that first book. And then once you do one, then you do another, then you do another, then you do another. So um, I, I guess I should also say, you know, um, you know, I generally don't write fiction. I, I write professional books, right. typically on digital strategy and other things. And in a certain sense, you know, there's a bit of a model if you're a management consultant, which is what I am. I'll go in and I'll help organizations figure out their problems, solve their problems. And, and then based on that, you develop different models and different ways of thinking, which then get codified in the books. Right. And then people read those books or my blog or the, you know, white papers or whatever it is that I'm, I'm, I'm reading. And they say, gee, that's a, that makes sense. We should have him maybe speak at our conference. Yeah, and one thing evolves into another. And so, fine, you speak, and then somebody says, I think we need some more of that. Um, do you have a book? So I said, yeah, well, yeah, I've got a bunch. So they read the book, and then they say, well, maybe you should come into our organization. Maybe we can, you can help us understand really what we need to do in that digital space. And between this, you know, consult, spe you know, speak, consult, write, uh, there's a nice model between the three of them. And once you've got some momentum, it's it's uh, self-perpetuating. Do you think you could help me with that? <laughs> I probably can. I don't. <laughs> I don't usually work with like individuals, but but no, there's all kinds of different resources, and there's all kinds of 
uh, right ways of doing it, and there's all kinds of wrong ways to do it. But I know, only, I've noticed that. Yeah, because you've done all the wrong ways, or because I, I uh, would say probably that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. I, I when I dove into social media, having to do with hat radio, I thought I would figure it out. <clears throat> I'm I'm a bit like a sponge, and I tell you something: the depth of social media trying to understand it it's a very complicated thing very complicated and highly labor intensive you know you're you're absolutely right there and, and it's perhaps even worse than that because you know unlike other things you know if somebody for example is an expert in say gardening you know the flowers or the trees they don't usually change every right. you know every day every week month etc but in the digital space, things change dramatically very quickly. That's true. So the best practices of, say, last year, and well, you mentioned social media, might not be the best practices today. Right. right, right? And in fact, they might be the exact opposite. A good example is this. When Facebook and, and uh, many of the other platforms started up, you posted something on your page, and magically it appeared on every single one of your followers or connections pages. Yeah which you still need to do that and everything. But generally speaking, the Facebooks of the world realize that, um, you know, they're not just there to uh, solve the world's problems, actually perhaps the opposite. Yes. But they're there <laughs> because they've got to do a return on their, to their shareholders. And therefore, yes, you could post something on the page, but if you want it to be seen anywhere, you have to pay. Yeah, so I figured that one out. Yeah, It's very called quickly. boosting. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you boost your post, right? And then, okay, I will. <laughs> And it's very easy sometimes to fall into the trap of saying, well, okay, so I'm going to boost my post. Um, and then you start paying a whole whack of money for, <laughs> right. for boosting. And then you say, um, has this uh, made me any money? Right. And perhaps if you're in the business selling widgets and you're driving more people to your widget store, you might be making more business. But with Hat Radio, you know, you're, you're, you're trading in ideas. Right. You know, you're trading in concepts, ideas, surfaces. And it's a lot easier to say, okay. Um, you know, let's let's drive more viewers. You, because what does that give you? So I, the, I've always had in my mind that I, I'm deeply intrigued with what I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I love had radio. I love doing the interviews. I feel as though there's there's some real important stuff happening here. And the corollary to that, what I was always thinking was, okay, if I love this, eventually a lot of other people will love it too. Uh, that seems to be going slowly. Well, you know what. Um, the problem with being on one side of the microphone uh, and having people listen to you on, on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever it happens to be is that you don't often get that direct connection back, yeah. right? It's a lot harder to do radio or to do podcasts because all the energy has to be within the room itself. Yes. And unless you could generate it, you're, unless you're excited as you are about what you're doing, it won't translate. It'll, be, it'll be boring. Yes, it'll be you boring. Know? Yes. And even right now, if I'm talking... If I'm talking like this in a very monotonic kind of way, you know, no smile on my face, just, yeah, you get the information, but it'd be boring as heck. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited that you're exciting, by the way. <laughs> no, seriously, because prior to every interview, and you and I have never met before. No, nope, no. Nope. This is our first time. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, man, what if this guy's boring? <laughs> <laughs> don't worry i'm thinking what if this are guy... you thinking that about me <laughs> well I, I suspect that you know you also have a bit of a public persona I, I i kind of know that you're not going to be boring but i thought to myself well yeah okay despite uh, avram's history in radio yeah. it could very well be that he's lost it yes and boy he might be a terrible interviewer Correct. And no no that's that's not the case so it's a pleasure being here and yeah. and it's a pleasure you know, answering whatever questions you have. Um, I'm sure your listeners are thinking, okay, so 
yeah, okay, yeah, is it really interesting? And hopefully we're not going to talk just about digital strategy, but we we absolutely can dive into it if you like. So I, I, I'm, uh, as I said before, I'm deeply intrigued by humankind. Uh, I'm very interested in who people are. I love to know about people's upbringing, uh, where they come from, how that affected their lives. And there, there's stuff going on in your life now, which I think is is very important to talk about because the show is meant to be inspirational. It's meant to help people strengthen themselves. And also it's meant to be very positive. You are, uh, you're, you're suffering from leukemia. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Is that right? So it's a very interesting thing because when people say leukemia, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was a child, people would say, so-and-so has got cancer. Yeah, right. right. And, and you couldn't say that word, cancer, <laughs> out loud, because otherwise, of course, everybody would have it. And there's a stigma to it as well. In my particular case, you know, I, I wasn't feeling particularly well, and, and I went to the doctor, and I don't usually enjoy doctors, and I said, you know, I'm not feeling well, perhaps an antibiotic. And he wisely said, as he always would say, well, you should get a blood test, because maybe it's a virus, and uh, antibiotic can't help. And that made sense to me, so I did that. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the next morning I got a call from the lab. And I don't know about you, but when you go for a test, you know, they don't tell you anything. And you certainly don't get called from them. No, you don't want to hear from the lab. So the lab said, um, uh, please uh, call your doctor immediately because you need to speak to your doctor. And thankfully, they, they've got these portals now with these labs. So you can actually sign in and see your results. Mm-hmm. So I saw my results, of course, which I didn't understand in any way, called a doctor friend of mine who said, oh, just just email me what, what it says and I'll tell you. So anyway, um, he said, I'll tell you immediately. So, you know, 15 minutes later, um, he hasn't called back. And then all of a sudden the phone rings. And he says, Randall, I've got some bad news for you. And this is one of my closest friends. Yeah. He says to me, I'm very, very sorry to say that you have leukemia. Yeah. And, and not a good kind of leukemia. And, and you know, oh. as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, okay. So he says, uh, you know, pack your bag, you know, put three or four days of stuff in there just so you've got it. Uh, call your wife and get yourself down to the emergency. And uh, now. So I said, okay, thank you. And so I took a taxi. I, I live in uh, uptown Toronto. I took it down to uh, oh, the downtown hospitals. Meanwhile, I'm busy Googling leukemia. I got a good sense of it. And, you know, honestly, you, you have a choice when you're given this kind of diagnosis. And I'm right. certainly not unique. You can say, okay, and break down. The world's going to end. You could say, okay, I got to deal with it. Let's understand it. So, you know, within uh, within uh, four hours, my wife and I are sitting in the examining room and they're doing a uh, bone marrow biopsy, which, by the way, is not a pleasant procedure. It's not. Um, at all. And, and it was one of many that I had. And they said, you've got the bad, bad kind of leukemia. We're checking you immediately. You're going to start the. Uh, you're going to start the uh, uh, the chemo, and and this, th- and this is all in a day, all in a day. Unfortunately, there weren't any spots left in the hospital. No beds. So what so happened? Uh, they they put me in a holding tank, basically a room in uh, uh, Mount Sinai Hospital, fantastic hospital, but it's not Princess Margaret, which is, you know, one of the top cancer hospitals yeah. in the world. Right. Uh, so when a room came up there, they moved me over, and they had been treating me, obviously. And all of a sudden, it's a, uh, one week of, uh, of solid chemo, then three weeks of recovery. And then you go through a bunch of, of, of those kinds of, 
of, of cycles. And after several of them, and understand, I was in the ICU for periods of the time. It's not easy. Yeah, I've been in ICU myself. I've had a couple of heart attacks. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about it is you have one nurse to you, right? Uh, yes, indeed. And they're fantastic. They are. They truly, excellent. truly are. ICU is outstanding, yeah. <clears throat> but it's something that you don't want to experience no. on the inside. You want... So, so and you don't want you don't want to go for a walk through ICU either. No, no, <laughs> the people don't look so great, right? So, so after after several months, you know, and you know, the cancer ward, Princess Margaret, unbelievable staff, unbelievable uh, nurses, um, leading edge treatment. Right. But all you have to close your door because all you hear is wailing. You do, right? Eh? Okay, and part of the wailing is from people getting the bad diagnosis, and part of the wailing is friends and family. Really? And, the, and if you think about it, you know, a lot of these people, when they get the diagnosis, the prognosis is not good. Yes. Um, some of them are realizing that, that they let go relationships of their children and they can't recapture that. Others didn't get to where they expected to get in their careers and, and they're, they're bemoaning the fact that the, the, the gig is up. Others, you know, the, the, their, the, the spouse is gone and, and they're just by themselves. Others are wondering how financially. Yeah. They're going to actually keep up their rent or their mortgage payments. Or yeah, put how food are they going to the get table. through this? Right, right. So it's just a big bag of hurt. How, how, how were you feeling? What was going through your mind? I'm here to get a job done, right? Well, yeah. What about your emotions, though? My emotions were fine. Every day I, I wore regular clothes. Um, and I, I found that the, you know, because I felt that I was a regular person getting a terrible treatment. <coughs> But uh, a regular person, and I had a job to do, and what was in my control to do, I was going to do. How was your wife and kids and your parents? <laughs> well, I don't think any parent wants to see a child, especially an adult child, yes, uh, get such a, a bad diagnosis or be sick with anything for that matter. Um, my wife, though, was a different story because I remember in the first day or, or two, I was making a couple calls uh, you know, to, to business associates, to close friends and everything, and I was saying that, Sadly, I was diagnosed with leukemia, and this is where I am, and blah, blah, blah. My wife uh, was getting angry and angry, and she says to me, Randall, just so you know, you don't have leukemia. We have leukemia. Oh, that's what she said. That's precisely what she said, and it's absolutely true. If somebody's got a difficult um, uh, diagnosis, they're in the hospital, it's not just the person in the bed that has got the illness yeah. or has to deal with it. Uh, thankfully, my wife was, was just incredibly supportive, very strong, uh, as were my parents, as were my kids. Uh, and and that's, that's one of the things that sort of helped me get through it. It's a really interesting point that you make because I'm thinking about the second time um, I had a heart attack. Both times I had stents put in. And the thing that really bothered me about this whole event was uh, what my mother had to go through at that mm -hmm. time, really, because I'm thinking about her in the waiting room while they're putting these stents in, and while they know a lot about the heart, and especially Sunnybrook, um, sure. they're, they're really cutting edge. S still, I know my mother was already close to her 80s or in her 80s, and uh, she suffered a lot because of that worry and because of the fear. Um, I actually think, I don't know if this is true or not, Randall, <laughs> But I think after that, she started to go down in terms of her health, and, and a few years, a couple of years later, she passed. Well, you know, sorry to hear about that. Yeah, thank and, you. And, thank you. Uh, well, you just lost your dad 30 days ago. Uh, I did. I, I did, and it's very interesting. Uh, I was very happy that my dad was able to be there. It's been uh, uh, two years, just over two, two and a half years since my diagnosis, two years since my transplant. 
And having my parents make it uh, make it down to hospital was absolutely huge for me. But I also know that it, it took a big toll on them. Yes. Uh, no parent at whatever age would like to see their child sick. That's you absolutely know, true, it, right? It, you know, it's something that you wish for in the reverse. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we'll, we'll continue the story, but let me take a sidebar for a second. It was a very, very, very difficult funeral in the sense that I had never sat in the front row in the funeral chapel before. Yeah, right. And I'm looking at my father in, in my father's uh, casket. casket in front of me thinking, but for the grace of God, he would have been sitting where I am and it would have been me in that, in that casket. Those were your thoughts. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Wow. Okay. And, and it's a very, very difficult thing because, of course, you'd much rather have give somebody else life than sort of take it for yourself. But on the other hand, you know, the fact that, uh, that I was able to help care for him during the last year um, his was a very, very big thing for me. What was his name? Uh, my father's name, John Craig. John Craig. So, you know, everyone's got their interesting history. In my particular case, um, you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up uh, totally secular, completely secular. You know, I'd go to, uh, to shul three times a year, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, that's it. And I would get there, I don't know, around 10.30 or so, quarter to 11. Oh, he'd be sitting there for hours and hours, and then I'd look at my watch, <laughs> yeah. and I would see that uh, I would see that only five or ten minutes went by. That's it, and and, and you know shortly thereafter we'd leave. Okay, and, and it was not particularly engaging. You didn't and, love shul, right? Well, I, I hadn't grown up in, as somebody who was uh, being exposed to really any faith system, uh, except for a very you know secular cultural Judaism. Where did you go to synagogue when you uh, were younger? We didn't really go. Uh, we, we, we didn't really go. But on three days a year, where, where would you go? Uh, we went to Batik for, for a couple of years. Okay. We, we lived in Montreal for several years. We went there. Uh, and then we did a little bit of shopping around whoever had the cheapest tickets. <laughs> right. But, but that, that, was, uh, that, that, was, uh, that was, you know, there's a great number of people today who fall between the cracks because they have been exposed to it. So when my first son was born, we decided, well, maybe we should... My wife and I decided maybe we should sort of join a synagogue. Yeah, and it, it's an interesting thing because you uh, you uh, you go shopping, if you will. You try different places, and and um, uh, the the place where we got married, uh, they had a deal, by the way, uh, that, that is uh, newlyweds uh, get one year free. Good deal. Except for it didn't apply to us because my parents weren't members. Uh, so we oh. shopped. We shopped everywhere else except for that particular place, uh, which which was just astounding uh, to me. But right. but you know we we tried a whole bunch of different places and and uh, in my karate club I was I'm a black belt in karate. One of the other fellows in the uh, change room who happened to be Jewish said, "Well, why don't you try mine?" And I thought, "Okay, sure, why not?" And that was that was uh, Sher Shemayim. He yeah. says, "Oh, it's Orthodox." And I said, oh, okay. He said, oh, you're not going to sit next to your, uh, to, to your wife. I said, um, okay. Uh, make sure, why don't you come to our house? We live not so far. And, and uh, come at a quarter to nine. That way we could walk there to be there by nine o'clock. I'm thinking, oh, my. <laughs> I'm going to have to go through this entire thing with my, with my wife. This is not going to be. It's uh, not going to be easy, right? <clears throat> and, and, and then he said, afterwards, you know, come back to our house. We'll have lunch. So, you know, our kids were about the same age. So I said, sure, why not? And this was how long ago, Randall? Uh, gee, this must have been around uh, 25 years ago. Okay. And, and uh, so we went there. Uh, we went there and we got there at nine. It was an alternative uh, 
uh, um, uh, service, etc. I won't go into the details, but but um, you know, I looked at my watch after after uh, after five minutes or so, and it was uh, it was eleven thirty. Ah, the and flip I thought, side. Oh, this is very interesting. So yeah. so so that was fine. The service ended. We went to our friends house for lunch and uh, we didn't leave there till like 5 30 that afternoon so you're having a great time a great time so the next week we said okay well let's go back next week and then next week and next week and next week and eventually we we, we became a little bit more knowledgeable then a lot more knowledgeable then you know what was it about it that resonated with you whereas the other shuls may not have i think the whole question of community and relevance you know um so at, at, at my synagogue right now you know you look you know, there's 50, 70 strollers there. There's tons and tons and tons of kids running around. Yes. There is a huge number of people that come every week. There's uh, there there's uh, learning that goes on from six o'clock in the morning to late at night. It's a vibrant synagogue. It's uh, and and you know what? I don't even like to use the word synagogue in this context. It's yeah. a vibrant community. Community, yeah. Right, and and that's something that I think very often people search for in life. And they can't find one way or the other, and some people find community in 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 um, um, in hobbies they do, and sometimes people find uh, community in, in professional groups that they're part of. And in our particular place, uh, one of the key communities that we're part of is is this particular one. Right. And and you know, I'm sure a lot of people have a similar kind of story um, that that all of a sudden, aha. And it's not like we're suddenly Bible thumpers. We think everybody should find their own path to, uh, to, to what's important to them. But on the other hand, you know, you, you get so much. When I was in the hospital with leukemia yeah. and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, then the transplant, you know, people were unbelievably helpful. There's this one lady, for example. Like you're saying people from the shul. Yeah, the people from the, yeah, from the community. Uh, this one lady, for example. Um, she asked uh, my wife, okay, well, how can I help? And she said, you know, if you could make me like a, a half dozen peanut butter sandwiches every week, just put it into a bag and in our mailbox, that means I'll be able to uh, take a, a, a lunch for myself down at the hospital and give one to my daughter. That's a lovely story. You know, so for, for, um, for over half a year, every, every week, single week, I love uh, we, we got seven sandwiches. Oh, that's you know, a beautiful you, story. You know? So, so that's there, the peanut butter story. Yeah. That's the peanut butter story. But there's, you know, I think I think the job of, of every parent yeah. is to live a life of example, and to uh, have enough confidence in their children to allow each of the children to reach their particular goal, their particular potential. And if I look at my three siblings, um, I, there's there's four of us. Each of us have sort of taken different paths, you know, right. professionally with our families, everything. And, and in such very, very different ways. And, and I think that that's to my parents' credit. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you as a father, you know, raise your, your son in a particular way. And I think you were raised in a particular way, not because your parents said, you must do this. Yes. Okay. But rather that you saw the examples that they lived every day and you said, okay, so what, is, what, are, what are the things that I might be able to do to, uh, to uh, you know... Um, to make a difference in my way. So, so in my case, I was brought up as an Orthodox Jew, and I divested of that when I was about 20 years old. About two interviews ago, Rabbi Karopkin from the Bayat Synagogue, he interviewed about why I left Orthodoxy. So it's all out there. But 
but your point is still well taken because what I did was I took the positive stuff, the good stuff, the Tikkun Olam stuff that I learned in my home growing up, and I continued that through via Hafta. And I'm sure that, you know, every parent wishes their child followed precisely, exactly. in That's their... true. But yeah. on the other hand, I don't think any parent would ever wish to limit their child's success or the impact that they could have had by saying, no, you can't follow whatever your particular dreams and capabilities are. You know, uh, I, I think uh, I think it was Chabad I, I read somewhere where, where they said there's only two types of, of Jews. And let me generalize it. There's only two types of people, those who are learning and those who are forgetting. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And and and, you know, it, it bothers me to tell you the truth when I hear people say I've left orthodoxy or I'm. I'm not interested in religion. Yes. Uh, or the exact opposite. I think that people um, need to be reminded that they're either learning or forgetting on any dimension. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as soon as you start classifying people into one category or another, you become uh, arrogantly judgmental. And, no, and, you, you make a good point. When I say that I divested of orthodoxy, essentially what happened was I started to give up halacha. I started to give up Jewish law. I found it too onerous. The interesting thing, by the way, Randall, is that when I ask many uh, Orthodox Jews about their commitment to uh, ritual and how they like it or don't, more often than not, I hear from them that they don't really like ritual so much. Do you like ritual? repetitive nature i think i i think let me answer that two ways you know i think some of the latest um um, uh, societal research says that uh, the one thing that many jewish people have in common no matter what their level of of uh of observance is that they always make it uh to the pesach seder to the passover the first meal on passover right and for for all of those people which is the majority of people who call themselves jewish that is one of the most important uh, rituals. It's a linchpin, for example. True. And, and, and so, so, yes, absolutely. The second example is this. Sadly, as I said, my father passed away about a month ago, and I'm, I'm now understanding that every morning and night you say ritual prayers. Yes. And, and in a certain sense, you know, there has to be a mechanism, and every faith system has it, as a way to uh, help um, deal with and leech away the negative parts of, of, of grief and to allow mourning to happen in a, in a proper way. And I'm not saying that our way is the, the best or the only way, only that, that once again it's a ritual to say prayers in the merit of a past parent twice a day. And for me, uh, not necessarily for others, it actually is very comforting. On the other hand, you know, there's right. a lot of people who say, uh, who, who believe in, in the minutiae, of the observance to such an extent, and they get great pleasure out of, 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 of delving into the minutiae. And I think there's a place for some people uh, for doing that, and other people, you know, function at a more spiritual level. They want to understand kind of why we do something to make it meaningful personally for them at whatever the level. So, so you know, that's how I would answer that question. You, you know, before you lost your father, you may have thought to yourself, because many people do, about how difficult, if not impossible, it's going to be. I lost my father when he was 61 years old. That was in 1989. I was 29 myself. I lost my mother, I think it's four years now, or at your site, the memorial's coming up. But like many other people, prior to their passing, I always thought, how am I going to possibly live without my parents? 
you know, I'm going to be an orphan. What, what, what is your mourning like for your father? And again, it's only 30 days old, right? So sadly, my father had a wasting disease. And so the last year has been particularly difficult watching uh, somebody who is a, you know, a number two guy of a multi-billion dollar company, an athlete, a very clean living guy. Which company was it? Uh, Southam. So, um, so he was a big guy then, eh? He was. Were, very, you, were, you, were you close with him, Randall? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, very, very humble, very uh, conservative in his, in his views, very, uh, you know, always wanting to do the right thing, etc., and to see all of that yes. tower uh, uh, leak away, and this happens with many people, actually. So by the time after a year, um, he finally passes away. You know, you, you see where it is in the last several months in a palliative center. Uh, they do great work, but what they see is not what was. Right. And so at the time of passing, on one hand, there's a great deal of mourning and grief. And on the other hand, there's a little bit of... Uh, Gee, that weight has been lifted off off our shoulders. It's relief, you know. And, and so, you know, you you always try to do stuff to uh, to merit their memory. You know, you give to to charity. You know, you say the memorial prayers. Uh, you make sure that there's uh, there's strong connections with the, with the extended family. You know, everybody sort of goes through their own kind of thing. So so that that that's the kind of stuff that goes through my mind. You know, post uh, post his passing. And, you know, the other thing that I, I, I do have to say is, is that you quickly realize, you know, especially as, as a parent starts to decline rapidly, that, uh, you know, likely your kids are in their 20s or, or, or mid-late 20s, whatever the age is, that as soon as you stop being a parent to your child, you start became, becoming, again, the child to your parents. Yeah, it's very true. And, and, and so it, it's a very interesting thing that you realize that, Everybody who's walking around on the street, everybody you meet, guess what? They've got a couple parents, one or two parents, most of them, right? And they also either have gone through what you've gone, what you're going through, or they're about to. That's correct. You know, yeah. and, and and so as much as you may think that, boy, your situation is unique, you can actually get a lot of strength to realize that this is a a fundamental part of the human equation. Yeah, yeah. Part of life is death, right? Yeah. What was the shiva like for you? The seven days of sitting in your house. Um, they were very good, you know. Um, were you astounded by any stories? Not really. Um, it was just very nice to hear uh, so many of, of my parents' friends uh, come by and, and, and just uh, uh, just share what they thought of him. You know, or it's wonderful, for example, to see, uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of my parents' newer friends in the place where they're living, uh, an apartment. Yes. Uh, sort of... Uh, reach around and embrace my mother as as one of uh, one of them and to see that yeah you know things are going to be okay you oh know, that's beautiful uh, at least by the end of it you feel that way shiva's an interesting thing isn't it randall uh it is it's not something that uh, i'd recommend to anybody to seek but I have that's to t- true yes <laughs> but but on the other hand you know there's an important role for friends and families yeah and, you know whether you're jewish or not um to, to go to whatever the mourning rites are of the people who've, who've lost parents, family, friends, etc. Just to say, not to say anything, but just to say I'm here uh, by your presence. A lot of people find it a real big challenge as to what to say when they go to a shiva house. Uh, they do, and I'm certainly no expert. I'm also not. Okay, but I would say is this, you know, it's uh, 
uh, it's, it's, it's not your job to make idle conversation. And just to right. be there and, and, and to uh, be the recipient and to, to make the conversation when it comes to you. Listen, I went to a Shiva house a few years ago. And unfortunately, the fellow who was sitting Shiva had lost his son. Oh, no. Yeah, it was terrible. And I knew him from my yeshiva days. Uh, I was really tongue-tied, which I'm not normally tongue-tied. I'm a rabbinical son. I'm pretty loquacious in my own way. And I usually have what to say. But here, I was just very uncomfortable. And I looked at him and I said, uh, let's say I'll call him Steve. Steve, I'm just wondering... uh, have the guys we've gone we went to yeshiva with showed up and i mentioned the name of a particular person and he looks at me and he says he's dead i said oh, oh my god the fellow next to me figured okay he's gonna bail me out on this he started making conversation too he asked a similar question about this man's father-in-law oh no he said how is he feeling he goes he's dead <laughs> It's funny, not funny, not funny. Funny, not funny, because I really wanted to get out of that Shiva house. And uh, so let me rewind back to one of your other questions, which was this: you know, okay, so fine, you're in the hospital, okay, you you know, you 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 you've got this diagnosis and everything. You're going through these these months of chemo. They they were not easy on on anybody. And then the doctors say, well, the genetics came, the the molecular genetics came back. They're not looking good. Um, you know, um, we're, we're beating back the cancer, but if we stop in any way, it's going to come back and your chances are zero. That's it. You're done. Uh, so we're going to stop the chemo because there's no point. Yeah. And, and gee, Randall, uh, we're going to uh, transfer you to the, uh, the bone marrow transplant group. And if they can find a, uh, a bone marrow donor, that's a, that's a perfect match. And by the way, there was nobody in my family who was a match. Nobody. No, nor in Canada, for that matter. They is that the, an anomaly? Well, it just turns out there's a certain percentage chance that there's somebody in your family who's a match. In my you case, it so. wasn't. Yeah. Okay, and there, nor was there in Canada. Um, um, uh, there was one person somewhere else in the world, it turns out. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm lying there, literally on my deathbed. Uh, okay, and, and uh, somebody says, I, I'm thinking rather, okay, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of a recovery I'm already thinking that there's going to be a person that there's going to be a transplant that's going to be successful. And, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be in semi-isolation. I'm going to have to do something. What am I going to do? So I blurred out, and literally my friends and family are around me on the deathbed. I, so I say to myself, okay, I'm going to write a Broadway musical. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. But what I'm thinking right now is, holy crap, what just came out of my mouth? Right. Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> which, which, was, which was actually very funny. Yeah. And, and, uh, but not funny at the time because I was very serious about it. And, and, but I, you know, I, I, I've done a lot before, but I haven't re- written a musical. You know, I do a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of um, you know, improvisational work on the piano and everything. And, and I've got a lot of, you know, progressions and everything that I, I, I've come up with that I really enjoy and everything. But you've never written a musical. No. Nope. Right. And so you're lying on your deathbed. Good chance to think about it, right? <coughs> Indeed. So I guess so, it's like a bucket list sort of thing, wouldn't it be? Well, I was. I, you're I thinking just, bucket list at that point. Aren't I, you? I wasn't actually. I was. I wasn't. I was thinking that this is something I want to do. Okay. 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 You know, and I never actually wrote a bucket list. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. But uh, you know, despite the uh, very uh, dire circumstances that I was in, and and what the the uh, you know, the survival rates for two years for my age with my kind of bad leukemia was, uh, if you were able to get the transplant, 
was 50% people living in two years. Mm. You know, uh, thank God right now it's two years and, and I'm still here. And the, the prognosis is not the greatest, to tell you the truth. But back then it was really bad. So, and, so let me let me ask you a question because I want to hear about your musical. I love I, I love what you. I, I actually am really enjoying your life, by the way. Okay. No, really. So am I. You're very eclectic, and I love that. Right, a bit of a renaissance man. But what was it like uh, to be dying? So I wasn't dying, or no, that you're going treated, to die. I was, I was I was being treated with 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 very very uh, uh, difficult drugs. And and they 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 weren't going to be doing the job, and uh, you know, my mind wasn't going into let me put my affairs in order. It wasn't. No, it was okay. What do we need to do to sort of fix this problem? What's in under my control? You know, they they told me I had to walk up and back and forth in the ward to try and regain some strength. Uh, so I did that because that was under my control. Yeah. I didn't want to be seen as a sick person wearing those hospital gowns where your rear end is sticking out. Yeah, you could see your bum. <clears throat> yeah. So I wore regular clothes every day. You know, a nice shirt like I'm wearing right now. It is a nice shirt. You know, and yeah. and, and what's funny, uh, you know, I, I've, I have a friend who, who had a kidney transplant. He's doing very, very well now. It's been many, many years since the transplant. And he was, he was gray as anything. And all of a sudden, this is before his transplant, uh, he came and he had, bright blonde hair did he really the whole bit and i said to him why why did you color your hair you look completely different he says you know something when you're lying on the bed and getting the transplant people treat you the way you look yourself and and i still remembered that so i thought to myself you know what i'm gonna wear regular clothes when I'm, when I, you know, I'm going to remember to say thank you to the nurses and the doctors. Very good. I'm going to do Very my good. research so I could ask intelligent questions rather than wasting their time with stuff that is is fairly obvious. You know, I'll track my blood numbers. You know, I'll do some research. I'll, I'll, you know, so I was thinking about okay, how do I, how do I get rid of this as opposed to, now of course I'm thinking my family as well, but I'm thinking about my job here is is to be successfully out of the hospital and not in a pine box yes. you know on, on my own legs you know so you were very box. stoic about it not a, yeah I, I guess so i'm not so like, sure did it ever cross your mind that i'm going to leave this world you know what it is a very very hard leukemia and a transplant is very 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 hard i imagine okay um but no i never thought of that oh, you know i just thought the only thing I thought of is something that, that has stuck with me throughout my entire life, which is I want to make sure that every minute of my time is spent doing something that I want to do. Yes. Right? Something that could make a difference uh, to me, to my family, to, uh, to, to the bigger world. And, 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 and feeling for, sorry for yourself because you got a bad hand of cards doesn't really measure up to that particular... Um, that, that, that particular um, um standard so no i wasn't feeling sorry for myself i just realized that i so so back to back to this blurt that i said about this musical yes um they said okay and well my best friend was 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 there and he says well randall how are you going to start so i said we ended up talking and uh 
a day later i had a full-size piano did you yeah like really? a like a pro, pro digital piano in my in my hospital room that's fantastic well and a set of headphones i imagine no oh you, you played without headphones no i didn't want headphones you know i i just i had to hear it you know it, there's good good speakers you know the whole bit so so yeah you have to hear yourself play so every day i would play that thing for hours wow know, every single day and 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 you know believe me you know when when you're in the hospital for a long time you have to keep your mind busy with stuff yeah and because if not all you're doing is paying attention to what your body is saying which is not good things so so playing the piano um you know for for several hours every single day for months and months and months that's where i was able to put a lot of my um musical ideas songify them i also knew what i was going to write about you know i'd been fascinated by a particular story so I sat with my computer and I went to Amazon and I ordered a whole bunch of books and uh, started to, it was hard to read at that particular time, but the books were, 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 were there. Well, good you know? for you. Can you can I ask you what the story was? Uh, the name of the story is called Esther. Um, and, and for those who are, who are uh, uh, the Bible scholars amongst us, there is a very not well-known uh, book of the Bible called Esther. It's, it, it's interesting. It's got intrigue and it's got good people and bad people um courage yeah there's there there's there's love interests there's uh there's there's all kinds of debauchery um uh, and interesting what there isn't in it and it's the only book in in the bible uh that actually does not have the name of god does not mention god that's correct okay and and so i i read this uh years ago and i was captivated i thought it was fascinating but i also thought and, and, you know, I, I hadn't seen a musical based on this. Mm. Um, and, and I was convinced that the messages within this particular uh, story were very resonant for today. You know, concepts of me too, or being different, or standing up for what you believe in, or corporate greed, or the, the nationalism that, that's shaking a lot of different countries. And I thought that if I could take the story of Esther and take it out of its biblical paradigm and move it into a uh, today paradigm, it would be, it would be something that is uh, very, very, very relevant for today. And even if you had never heard of the story on which it's based, Esther, you would say, boy, what a great story. And you know something, when you take a story that's stood the test of time, like thousands of years, yeah. guess what? It's a good story. So, so let me ask you a question. In the story, Esther approaches her husband, who is the king, and very bravely and very courageously um, tells her about his second-in-command, um, who has signed an edict to wipe out the Jewish people. So what I'm curious about is when you change the paradigm, who, so, who was Esther and who was the king? So the story's the same. You know, I, I had to make some changes. You know, Esther is fine. That's a name we use today is the name that was used yeah. thousands of years ago the name of the king Achesh Verosh, <laughs> is not really something that you could rhyme things no, with no one, no one names their kid after Achesh Verosh, right yeah and and so Achesh Verosh, the king became mr virius the ceo oh okay mordechai the mentor became uncle mo you know <laughs> um, you know um haman the the evil whisperer uh, to the king became Ham, the evil advisor to the CEO. So, you know, if, if you think about, 
if you think about it, you know, the conniving ham whispering bad things to the CEO and the CEO being a bit of a buffoon. By the way, there's an argument on that, but okay. Oh, well. My friend Ellie wrote an article on it. Was he really, really smart or was he very, very stupid? Yeah. uh, In in this particular case, you know, um, you can almost imagine uh, Mr. Averius being almost Mm Trump-like. And, and there's an argument to be said that maybe the reason why, I'm not saying this about Trump, I'm talking about the story and Mr. Virius, maybe the reason why he relied on, on Ham and listened to him isn't because he was stupid, but maybe he was a great delegator. Okay. And maybe really what he wanted to do was not to be involved in all the minutia of the day. And the fact that Ham in this particular case is the one who's conniving and trying to position himself for ascendancy and everything... You know, so I, I could see the argument. In this particular case, it's a lot easier because a musical theater, everything's uh, exaggerated, right? right? It's exaggerated right. through the acting, the dancing, the, the music and everything. Uh, there's no question uh, the CEO is a buffoon. At the very end, of course, you know, Esther stands up and says, um, uh, no, we've got to do something, right? And, and at that point, uh, she makes the case. And, and Mr. Virius says, you're right. Who is, who is it that made this terrible edict? And guess what? You know, away goes, away goes Ham, and up, up comes Esther and what, Mo. What was the edict in your story? So, <clears throat> yeah, what, what the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the anthem of the whole thing is a song called We Are Believers. And because I'm not a singer, I'm not going to sing it for you here. Don't worry. Just listeners. give it a shot. Just give it a shot. Oh, no. No way. <laughs> no way. I'll tell you what. Uh, you seem I'm, like a pretty gutsy guy. Yeah, but it's, listen, if I start singing, people are going to start running. Do you think I'll lose listeners, eh? Well, I'll tell yeah. you, they'll never come see the play. <laughs> okay. But but the, the idea is, you know, Mo comes up to Esther and, and says, you know, we're different, Esther. We, 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 uh, we, we see the world differently. We've got to keep it under the wraps. Yeah. And and, and um, Esther and, and, and Mo are effectively the protectors of anyone who thinks different, uh, as opposed to uh, Ham, who sees anybody who doesn't bow down to him, anybody who, who doesn't believe as he does, who thinks the very same as him, as being um, the other. Um, and, and, and so uh, Esther is, uh, is, is the champion of, of the underdog she's the champion of anyone who thinks different uh, she's the the champion of, of those who make a difference and and uh, and and at the end obviously she uh, she convinces the uh, uh, the, the CEO that that in fact is something that's good that's fabulous right? you so you wrote you wrote the music and you wrote you wrote the script that's right when I'm I was I was literally you know on one hand puke on the other hand I sat up and I said <laughs> okay I'm gonna open my, my computer and I'll tell you, I was in tears. I was writing yeah. the first song, sitting in my hospital bed. I wrote that first song. I thought it was pretty good, and 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 you know, then I then I took a nap or had more chemo, whatever it was. And then the next day, I looked at that song. It was brilliant. I thought, yeah, that's the operative word. I thought because I, it was terrible. Was it? Oh, yeah. I know. Well, you're you're crazed out of your mind on chemo. What do you, what do you expect? Right. But the seeds of it were there. And, and like any good book, it gets edited and edited and edited and shined up and shined up and shined up. So a number of versions later, uh, obviously, it was, it was pretty good. 
So, so are, are you satisfied with the script? Because <clears throat> writing music is one thing, writing words is another thing. So that was a big thing, and it's something that, that I've talked to other people about, and, and I've sort of challenged myself with it as well. What do you write first, the book or the music? Yeah. Right? And, and in my particular case, um, you know, I had a whole bunch of, um, you know, improvisational chord progressions, etc., that I absolutely loved, and they were great, and I, they didn't have melodies, most of them. And then, on the other hand, I had this concept for taking a very, very, very old story and putting it in today's paradigm and making it more relevant. So I started to write the actual um, play. And, and, you know, in the world of musical theater, there's really two types of musicals. One, which is a play with music, lots mm-hmm. of talking, and then all of a sudden they break into song and dance, and then lots of talking. And then eventually they break into song and dance. Right, right. And the other is, is a, uh, a musical play where... The entire story is told through music. Yes. And that's what I wanted to write. So I wrote the entire manuscript of all the 20 songs or so. There was 20 songs. <clears throat> Excuse me. I went through a whole bunch of revisions. I did so much research. Oh, my God. It was fantastic. Uh, just to delve into all the characters and to bring out aspects of it. And oh, then... That's great. And then... Uh, it's okay. So I've got around 30 or 40 of these progressions. Which ones fit? And sometimes it was a question of saying, okay, this one fits, okay, and let's change the music, though, to fit what I've written, because the writing was really good. Yeah. Other times it was, oh, this music is fantastic. We need to change the writing completely to fit the music. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of these things, you know, one step, then the other, then the other, then the other, then the other. And, and eventually they, it, it came together in a way that was, um, um, what's the word? Uh, together, uh, cohesive. T- 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 together. You know, I'm 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 looking at one particular song, etc. And uh, uh, my wife says, I never thought of doing that in a tango style. You know, gee, you've got that, you've got rap, you've got this, you've got that. I said, how about Randall? You don't have any funk. You like funk, why don't? <laughs> so I said, oh, funk like this. And and she says, yeah. So I said, okay. What if? What do you think about putting it to this song? You know, and and so I start, you know, singing it and playing it and everything, and and it just totally fit. Oh, of so you, you have funk in your musical? Of course. Oh, I love funk. How, how, could, how old are you, by the way? I'm fifty six. Okay. I'll be turning fifty seven. Right, so. right. So I'm fifty nine. So we grew up at the same time. James Brown. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and you know, the, the, there's almost a meta message with the musical. Yeah. You know, um, how could you have a tango and funk? And rap, and a ballad, and 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 a cappella, and a whole bunch of other different styles of music together, um, in, in in something. The the meta message is that you really need all of those things together. Right. Okay. All those things together, and 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 if you can live with all of these differences, perhaps the sum of the parts is greater than the parts by themselves. Very and, good. And, and Very so good. the finale, of course, is all these styles together. Oh, that must be beautiful. Well, you could listen to it yourself, okay, and I'll give you the link to it. I'd love to. You could to. listen to it, and, and then you, you could be the judge. But for me, and I know there's a little bit of bias... But uh, for, for me, it's very, very exciting to see all these things together. How do you feel about it now that it's finished? <clears throat> and even more so, how do you feel about yourself having done it? So, you know, gee, um, Avram, you've done all kinds of interesting things in mm-hmm. your life. You know, how do you feel after having started Vahavta? How do you feel after having accomplished blah, blah, blah? Right. Or wrapping up another radio <coughs> season or something? 
you feel this is kind of cool. And then you think, let's see what kind of legs it has. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm not finished this musical. Um, you know, what do I know about costumes, lighting sets, staging, dancing? I know nothing about that. So where are you going with it? So right now what we're doing is we're, we're meeting people, uh, production companies and others, who might be able to now start at the point where we're at the, at the milestone where we're at. So, you know, we've got the entire soundtrack done. We had 89 recording sessions, for example, with a lot of very talented uh, uh, singers. You know, we've, you know it's, it's, it's all orchestrated and everything. Wow. But on the other hand, um, you know, we need a, a very talented direct, director to say, okay, let's take these notes on each, scenes and, uh, on each scene and make it real. You know, what do we do with the lighting? What kind of sets? What kind of movement? What kind of uh, um, other stuff to make it truly come alive? You know, more than just music or just words. How, how, how important is this to you in terms of completion, getting it done? Um, you know, I, I tend to accomplish things. So Once you start it, you finish. So, so I'm very excited to get it to where, where, where it's at. I have to tell you, when I put the final touches on the first version, by the way, you write something, then you're constantly redoing and redoing yeah. it, partially because you might have your own standards, but also because you get all kinds of input from all kinds of different collaborators. So, you know, I don't want to say that, hey, it's, it's all just me. There's been a lot of input and everything. And it will continue to be as it evolves to be something that audiences like. So how do I feel? To have somebody else singing my words, okay, it was, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, sure. I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll tell you probably what to date has been probably one of the most uh, uh, moving times. Uh, and uh, we had an event uh, a couple weeks ago, about actually about a month ago now, um, where we did a, a preview of Esther the Musical for a number of the people who were singing, but also a wider group. We had about 100 people. Uh, we we're in a venue uh, downtown, you know, there's a stage at the front. And, and I said a few words and introduced the scene, and we all listened to the music. The first time other people had listened to the soundtrack. Were you, we, were you on Spilkas? Were you nervous? I was not nervous at all. I was excited. Yeah. Because I've been living this for the last two years, yeah. right? And, and you, uh, you didn't consider for a moment what happens if these people are not in love with it, like I am? Well, no. Oh, good for you. Because, frankly, You're a healthy man. But no, because if they didn't like this or they didn't like that, that's input to make it better. Okay. Right. It really, really is. It's not. It's not done. Right. And and I, I was watching what people were thinking throughout the in the finale to imagine a hundred people on their feet, were they? clapping and singing. We are believers all together. The oh. entire stage. You know, all I all I was thinking of, boy, wouldn't it be amazing uh, in one of the big theaters downtown Toronto or in Broadway or in London, UK, to have a, a you know a, a thousand people on their feet singing. The the, uh, the the finale together, oh, you know that's beautiful, Randall. I'll I'll tell you one other thing too. Um, um, I had a PowerPoint behind me that sort of had a, a picture of what the scene would be that the song was part of, and and the words superimposed so people can sort of sort of read it as well as see it. You know, it it would have been kind of boring if they just listened to it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I did that for every one of the songs except for the finale. The finale started out that way, and then the, 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 the anthem started, We Are Believers, We Are Believers, and, and everyone starts singing it. And, and all of a sudden, instead of uh, the words, etc., and, and the picture, all of a sudden there's a picture of some of the people who've made a real difference in society over the years, from uh, uh, Martin Luther King 
to Rosa Parks to, you know, you name it. I had around uh, 10 or 12 uh, different people. Mother Teresa. Nelson Mandela. I had Nelson, Nelson Mandela. And, yeah. I, and so all these people are, are, are seeing we are believers. All these people of different faiths, of different nationalities and different time periods over the last, say, 60 years who truly made a difference in the world one way or the other. And at the very end, you know, you know, there's the Esther logo, and they're clapping and they're singing. And the message to them was, no, no, Esther isn't just a play. Esther can be all of us. It's within all of us to make a difference one way or the other. It need not nice. be just those big. And so people are feeling like a million dollars, and they're feeling like they, they were Esther. You know, they could be Esther. Um, and, and that it is within everybody, even that this poor girl who started with nothing yeah. and rose to the highest station in the musical Esther, the VP, um, that, that she could uh, change the world. And gee, audience, so can you. Wow, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, it's... Uh, and it's, the genesis of it. It's a unique story. It's unique. It's a really unique story. Have you told this story before? Um, I told part of the story at this preview event. Yeah. Uh, but you mean like lying in bed and, and getting the prognosis? Oh, from you're the first. <laughs> uh, this is this is this I is, got the scoop. You got the scoop. Good. You've got the scoop because that, that's how that's story. that's how the format works. Randall, it's a very special <clears throat> story. But I, I tell you what I'm really intrigued by. I'm intrigued by you. Okay. <laughs> no, thank yeah, you. I am. Like you set your goals and you go for it regardless of what's going on in your life, and that's pretty impressive. You know, it's it's uh there's a lot of people who do who do that. And there's also a lot of people who are afraid of doing that. That's my point. You know, and that's why I'm happy to do this show with you because I want people to listen closely. Like, what's the divide between you being in the hospital, blurting out, "I'm going to write my musical," and going ahead and doing it, bringing a piano into the hospital? You're there for seven months, and those people who are sitting on the couch and they have, let's say, very good ideas, but they don't come to fruition. Somebody said to me, uh, a friend of mine. Um, recently, uh, uh, I was describing how it was difficult to get a particular idea across. Yeah. And it was a big, big idea. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter how great you are, you know, everybody needs, I don't want to say a coach or a friend or a family member or a something. mentor, just, just to sort of, uh, sort of like, uh, you know, knock on the door a little bit. In this particular case, the person says, Randall, uh, why don't you just, you know, just Take one small step towards it. Right. And I thought, oh, gee, that's my line. That's what I'm supposed to be saying to other people. Yes. And, and, and it's so true. You know, sometimes people feel that they can't scale the mountain. I can't because I'm too weak. I can't because I don't have money. I can't because, you know, you fill in the blank. People will put whatever thing in there. And, and, and all I can say is take one step after another. You have no idea where you can go. Right. And, and I think um, another reason why people don't often do this is, is that they're so focused on the end result. And I think that's a terrible mistake. I never said to myself, I can visualize myself receiving a Tony Award yeah. for the musical Esther in Broadway. You know, I, I don't visualize that. All I can think about is what's the next thing I need to do. And the beautiful, you know, for me anyway... What's beautiful about that philosophy is that we learn along the way. And what we learn along the way helps us make these mid-course corrections that gets to the end result 
that we're perhaps we were actually destined to get to. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, because we haven't started, we have no idea what that end result is. Mm -hmm. We may think it's the Tony Award, but maybe it's something else. And so, you know, we talked before the podcast about the fact that you love doing the podcast, etc. But, but gee, um, um, you didn't know much about the technology of it or the social media or anything else. So, Correct. So, so guess what? I bet... Your conception of what you wanted to do at the very beginning has changed between then and now. Yeah, that's right. Only because you were able to walk a particular road and learn along the way. So sometimes people are so focused on what that end goal is, they miss the flowers. It's such an awful expression because it's overused, but it's so true. It's not the it, it's the journey, not the destination. That's right. You know, I, I think this is a good opportunity. It's a very good segue. Uh, to discuss actually a project that I'm involved in. I mentioned this to you before. My dear friend Adrian Berkowitz is a, uh, he's a musician uh -huh. and he's outstanding. His father was liberated from the camps when he was 16 years old. <coughs> yep. He went on a trek to find his home. Adrian wanted to honor his father who has passed. His brother, you might find this interesting, Lou, who was the very first guest of mine on Hat Radio, honored his father or memorialized his father by getting his father's concentration camp numbers tattooed on his arm. Okay. What's your take on that? Because it goes both ways. So a very close friend of mine, uh, this fellow is Jewish. Yeah. His boss wasn't. But his boss traveled to Germany and decided, since this was his first trip to Germany, that he would go to Auschwitz and and pay respect to the, the awful atrocities that were there. Yep. And while he was there, he picked up this big stone about the size of a baseball and put it into his bag and took it home. And when he came back to the city, he called up my friend and said he brought something back for him. And of course, my friend was horrified yes. that somebody would bring a, a, a stone back from a concentration camp for him. Yes. He didn't know what to do. He called the Holocaust uh, uh, Center in, in the city. He, he spoke to some other authorities, etc., who assured him that it wasn't a desecration. It was just terribly bad taste and everything. But, you know, as far as this other person was concerned, this was his way to recognize and say, hey, I'm part of the story too. And by me taking the stone and giving it to somebody who was Jewish, that this was something very meaningful. I don't think it's up to anyone to judge, you know, about tattooing numbers and and that, you know, uh, for for me, I could not possibly imagine doing it. But I'm sure that the person who had it done felt that this was very important for a whole bunch of reasons. It's a great answer, by the way. You know, it's so, a great answer. Do, well, you, do you study Talmud? No, I don't. Have you ever thought about it? Because it's kind of right up your way of thinking. It's up your alley. I I, uh, I see this. I see this. I see that. You know. Uh, thank you for saying that, but I've got a difficulty reading the language, let That's alone tough, understanding isn't it. it. Um, but but you know it's. Well, I want to finish about the play. Hold on a second. Go ahead. So here here's what I wanted to say. So so Adrian uh, decided that he was going to memorialize his father, unlike Lou, um, by writing a musical. No, he had leukemia and was in the hospital as well. 
No, no, okay. no, 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 that would so be he too... Sk- he skipped that part. <laughs> yeah, that would be too striking, right? You know, he, thank God he's fine, he's well. But he set about doing it, and he wrote the musical, and now he's recording it, similarly to you. And on March the 25th, he's going to be showing it up in Markham. There's going to be 600 people filling that theater. And the backdrop to it, Randall, you'll like this, is the Shoah Foundation interview that his father, Eduardo, did when he was still alive. Well, Isn't that fascinating? So, so you know... It, it sort of speaks to the importance of whatever you're doing. Pardon me. Whatever you're doing, you need to understand kind of what general pathway forward you're looking for. Right. So I suspect that is as meaningful as this particular musical is to him, it's probably not something that's going to be playing in New York next to, say, Le Miserable and, and uh, um, Aladdin Cats. and Cats. Right? It, it's It's designed to... Um, uh, tell a very specific story to a very specific type of audience. And therefore, by choosing that, he's able to focus his music, mm-hmm. uh, focus his writing. He'll be able to use all kinds of metaphors that, that, that somebody outside of that community might not understand. He might be able to use different types of musical styles that might pull at people's heartstrings in one way or the other because he's, he's got such focus on it. But with respect to, okay, how do you uh, commercialize that? Okay, I shouldn't say as opposed to, I should say, given that, the way one would commercialize it would be different than one that's, say, designed for a general audience. Yeah, that that would be true, yes. Right? Um, Some of the underlying digital stuff would be exactly the same. Um, Some of the technical stuff will be exactly the same. You still have to worry about lighting and staging and finding proper singers and actors and everything like that but but uh, how you market it is going to be very very different and what kind of um, impact so an interesting thing would be this if he's written it for say one particular type of audience the question would be is how different would you write it or do the music if it were for a general audience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay now he might not decide he might decide what he's got right now is for a general audience or he might decide, for example, that, you know, for a general audience, gee, we lose too much of the essence. It's just not worth doing. Yes. Right? Um, but writing a musical is a lot of work. And writing a good musical, and the jury's out, on, frankly, on my musical Esther. You know, it's not on a stage yet, you know, where we're aiming for that. Will it be? Oh, of course it will be. <laughs> yeah. Why did he even need to ask that question? You know the answer. Well, 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 for the first time in the interview, I know it's a little bit of hesitancy on your part. Well, it's yeah, really... The jury's because... still out. That, that's a phrase that hasn't come out of you yet, you know? So, so the reason why is because it's very easy for your listeners to think, okay, so here's this guy that's done something. He thinks it's great. Oh, yes. Okay, he Here thinks we it's go. great. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. And... and in, in my particular case, I think it, yeah, I do think it's great. Yeah. A lot of feedback that I've had is is great. As when it's been workshopped by with all the musicians, you know, it, it, they've also provided a fair amount of feedback. But you know what? Um, uh, great is a function of what do the bums and seats think? Right. You know, what do the reviewers think? How long is this thing going to be? You know, in the, in the small stage before it gets to a bigger stage and a bigger stage and a bigger stage. And so when I say the jury's out, it's not a question of self-doubt. It may be uh, partially a bit of humility. Yeah. And partially the fact is, is that it's not up to me to declare whether it's successful or not. 
it's, uh, you know, how many people are coming to see it. Is it the most compelling thing in your life right now? <clears throat> when you wake up and your eyes open and you see, oh, another day. Do you um, think about your musical? Uh, well, actually, I'll just paraphrase what you just said. When I wake up uh, in the morning and I'm still there, I say, oh, another day. You do say that. And then I say, oh, it's another day. What a great day. You do say that. Because I'm here. Yeah. Right? And, and, and you know, so... So health and family uh, come come first, of obviously. Course. Yeah, of course, that's a given. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't do things that are contrary to my health, mm-hmm. um, just because that's when the only I can't control if there's a relapse. I can't control my immune system, right. but I can control my, uh, you know, uh, certain aspects of uh, you know I can avoid infection. You know, I could try to avoid infection, for example. But uh, you know, those are the things that are important. You know, getting healthier, making sure my mind is sharp, those are pretty important. You know, uh, uh, it bothers me that I can't do right now uh, my real day job, which is getting up on a stage and motivating a lot of people or, or sharing my ideas in a way that lots of light bulbs go on all at once. Yes. You know, it, it bothers me that I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, working, consulting, making a huge difference to all manner of organizations. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I'm hoping that that'll come back. Excuse me, I'll be able to do those things. That's my my dear hope. But in the meantime, you know, I've got to keep myself sharp. Otherwise, I'm going to become dull. And we can, you know, you can't have a dull guest, right? <laughs> no, no, unless you I know? change, unless I change the whole meaning behind the show. Yeah, welcome exactly. to Had Radio. This is the dullest podcast ever. Yeah. So indeed. listen, I, I I have a question for you, Shoot. and what I want to do is a little bit of house cleaning as a way to get to it. I'm very uh, deeply touched and honored by uh, some sponsorship that came Hat Radio's way a little while ago. Uh, it's in memory of Catherine and Leslie Samuel um, through their son. He was a fine man who's a leader. He was just the chairperson of Via Hafta. And through his sponsorship, we decided that we would speak about a few things having to do with leadership, having to do with what we call tikkun olam, which is repairing the world. Um, and what I want to say about, about leadership and his particular type of leadership was that he's always been a very humble person. And uh, the way he led was truly by example. And I think that generally a lot of people learn more so from that type of leader than the one who smashes you over the head you know, with a hammer. When I was uh, younger and I was trying to get the point across about humanitarian uh, work that I was doing, I was very forceful, Randall. I was very, very aggressive. And I would get very, very angry when people didn't take a step back and, you know, consider for even for a moment about, you know, the children of Rwanda or Kampuchea or in our day and age of Syria. Like, why aren't you thinking about that? And I wasn't making any headway. And I realized, listen, the way to do this is by being gentler and by talking to people and giving them the opportunity to hear and to listen and hopefully latch onto it. So once again, I want to thank Gary very much for his sponsorship, as I do Mark Greif uh, from Greif um, Philanthropic Services. And, and here's my question to you. When we were talking before about your leadership at Shar Shemaim Shul uh, within your community, there's, a cer- so there's certain images that come to mind. And one of the images is of you sitting up there on what we call the bima, right? It's where the rabbi sits and the president sits. And the people come up and when, when they have a, a blessing over the Torah, they'll sit there as well sometimes. 
So my question to you is, what is it like looking out on the shul, on the synagogue, the congregants, versus sitting in the pews and looking the other way? Well, one thing, uh, I feel very honored to be there. Uh, I feel very honored to serve. Um, you know, there's very little chitter-chatter that, that happens when you're sort of sitting at the very top. Yeah, right. You know, um, you know, I don't get the chance to sit with my friends, etc., so I miss a bit of the social part of it. You can't schmooze. Yeah, uh, but on the other hand, you know, I, I'm very honored to be, to be part of, uh, of the whole enterprise. Um, there, is, uh, there is a very, very active board. There is a lot of active committees who are doing a lot of great work. 31 committees. Uh, yep. There's a rabbi who's a, who's a real visionary yep. who cares very deeply about the congregation and has got an incredible work ethic, uh, you know. And, and so I, I feel very engaged. You know, there, there's almost a certain expression that is almost, if you imagine, uh, lead from behind. Yes. You know, if you're able to make space for other people, it makes it a lot easier. And as long as you sort of are clear in what your vision and mine is how do how do we improve engagement? Uh, you know how do we get more people involved? And recognizing that that some people, um, some people's choices of involvement are very different. I'll give you an example. You know, um, there's uh, there's 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 a new committee that we started this year, security. And you know, many of your listeners might not realize this, but uh, in some places of worship, synagogues, Jewish. Uh, um, synagogue specifically, um, uh, there's generally security guards who are checking everything. Yep. There's cameras all over the place. Uh, these things are targets. It's a very, very shameful part of our Canadian society uh, that, that, that this is required. And certainly after some of the tragedies in the United States over the last year or so, uh, that, that really hit home. So we figured that we had to ratchet it up. We still wanted to be very welcoming and everything. So we put together a committee and, and, and all that. And one of the people on the committee was somebody who, frankly, never came. Uh, but for, for this particular person, this is a great way that they felt that they were moving the enterprise forward. They never came to services. They never came to services. Okay, so they started to come to some of the committee meetings. And they be, then they, they took on a, a leadership role within, one the com- within part of the committee. Then they're part of the volunteer team that's part of our you know, volunteer security team that takes shifts. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, he's involved, and he's coming to things, and he's growing in ways that are his choice yes. and doing things that are important for him. Yes. And so, you know, you, you sort, of, sort of chuckle a little bit, 31 different committees. Maybe it's 28, maybe it's 33, whatever it is right now. But you've got people who care very deeply about making um, an impact and, and moving everybody forward. Uh, and so for me, uh, as, as one of the chief enablers of this, it's all about that and, and helping find people, helping people find a way. You know, I'm not the rabbi, uh, but as the president, you know, you, you've got a lot of influence on, 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 you know, I sort of joke, you know, my job is kind of to do three things, uh, to say please, to say thank you, and to say sorry. Right. You know, right. and 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 uh, when when you ask somebody uh, if if they could help out in something, you know, oftentimes people will say yes because they're looking for a way to contribute. They're looking for community. And 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 I found this when I was you know president of other organizations as well that if you ask people, usually they'll say yes as long as you're asking things that are reasonable and that you've got a good idea that it's yeah, totally it's agree. important for them. You're hundred percent right. Then I, I, yeah. once you ask, they'll say yes. 
I found that at Viahafta too. P- people are hungry to be involved. People are hungry to be part of a community. They really are. And even if it's not community, even if it's just doing something at a professional level, yeah. if yeah. you're asking somebody to to be the uh, program chair of your you know trade association, if programming is important to them, they'll say yes. They're not doing it because of community. They're doing it because somebody thought highly enough of them and the impact that they could make if only they, 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 they said yes when, when you helped them put up their hand. Well, I think, I think it could be more for some people. For some people, I think it is a part of enhancing uh, the Jewish people. I, I really do. Like well, A lot of people wonder, how am I supposed to be as a Jew uh, or whatever people you're part of? How am I, what am I supposed to do in order to strengthen it? We're always talking about everybody has to, everybody has to play a role. Every Jew has to stand up, et cetera, et cetera. Here's an opportunity to do that, regardless of whether it's security committee, entertainment committee, volunteer community. It doesn't matter, like you're saying. Yep. So you look out, you look out at the community. It's a different vision that you're seeing. As opposed to the uh, looking back, I, th- up. I think I think I think as a president, what you do realize is is several things. Number one, people like to be part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah, they like to contribute to that bigger thing. Okay, I also realize this, and I've always known it in in my prior leadership roles as well. But you certainly see this as a leader of a communal organization. Um, there's some things we can do together that we can't do as individuals. Yes. And to be part of that group isn't a show of, of, of weakness. It's actually quite the opposite. It's a show of strength. And, and you know, whether, whether it's celebrating together because somebody's reached a certain life milestone or professional milestone, or whether it's in the area of advocacy, or as you mentioned, uh, for, for Vahavta, Takun Olam, or, or repairing the world, or whatever it happens to be, people want to be part of something bigger than themselves and people are always seeking for purpose yeah that's true and if we're able to find a way to help people understand what their purpose is through their self-discovery then they'll be a lot happier and i I think you know maybe you've seen this with others as well some people are able to find out early fairly early what they are built for yeah they hit their stride early on right and other people it takes a little longer for them to figure out what they're built for and I think part of the role of, of, of a leader is to sort of see those seeds of greatness within somebody yep. and say, why don't we try this? Right. Why don't you, why don't we try this? Let's see how this fits. Did you do that with your children, raising your children? Look for their seeds, look for the thing they were passionate about. I, I do that I, with my son. I, I think that I've got three very, very special, ridiculously talented children. And, and as much as I wish I could take credit, for all the good that's yeah. come from them, yeah. uh, they are they are unbelievably self. Uh, um, I don't want to say self motivating. I think is part of it. Self developed. Self developing. Yeah. Uh, and and for that, you know, uh, you know, I'm, you know, having children is interesting. They come out of the womb completely helpless. Yes. And by the time they're eighteen or nineteen, they're fully formed adults. And right. I think as parents, we always have a role in. And helping them develop to be who they should be, without you know, and providing the guidance. But on the other hand, without putting um, so many restrictions that that you're also giving them baggage that they've got to spend a good chunk of their life to get rid of. <laughs> Working it through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so you know, my my kids are fantastic. Thankfully, they're they're 
they're all three of them nice, nice, nice people, and they've got heads on their shoulders. And, and uh, you know, as a parent, after the big experiment is done, and I don't think it's ever really done, yes. but uh, when you've got adult children, it's a very, very special relationship because you look and it doesn't matter what they do, there's always this look of pride. Wow, that's my kid. Yeah, they were you know, listening. Gene, not, well, no, this is what I hear. I hear from parents, oh, they were listening. They heard me. Yeah, but they've taken it on themselves. Yeah. Right, I, I think that's the the, the thing that, uh, for me and, and my wife, I'll speak for as well. We're most proud of our children. Up. Do you think you, you think you're a good dad? I think so. Yeah. Do I think I could be a better dad, or do you think I could have been a better dad? You know, I I think so too. You know, because uh, you know, if you think that you're perfect, that means there's no room for improvement. So it's an interesting thing. You know Perky Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers? Yep. You know the classic line of is Ezehu Ashir Samer Bechelko, who is a wealthy person, someone who is happy with their lot. So for years I've been wondering on about that. What's your take on that line? Hmm. You always ask the tough questions, uh, I eh? do my best. That's my job. <laughs> um I, I think I've got a love-hate relationship with that particular line. Mm-hmm. Who, is, who is wealthy, one who's happy with their lot? Because on one hand, I think it speaks to the existential question of not having to require external proof of your own um, um, viability, your own choices, of your own uh, self-worth, if you will. And on that sense, I, 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 I love it. You know, we don't... Uh, as, as, as children, you know, as you grow older, you go through a, a stage called renunciation where at a certain point, all of a sudden, they're their own people. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they're no longer trying to prove to mom and dad or anybody else because they are themselves. So, so in that sense, that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. On the other side of the coin, though, is that I think uh, most successful people are aspirational. And if we say, ah, we're happy where we are right now, Sometimes with some people that might close the door to either personal growth or achievement of stretch goals. Yes. And, and, yes. and on that sense, if you read it that way, I don't disagree with the, with the underlying uh, sentiment of it. Um, I, I think, though, you know, bring them together. Um, you've got to be happy with the momentum that you have and the direction that you're going. Right. Otherwise, it's up to you, not anyone else, to make that change. Yeah. I've always thought that Ezu Ashir Samech Bechelko, who is a wealthy person, someone who's happy with their lot, in really simple in really simple terms, it was more or less looking at what you've accomplished, taking a step back. I've, I've done this musical. I'm tweaking it. And, but still, taking a sort of a deep breath, patting yourself on the back and saying, well done, taking a little bit of a rest as long as you need to, and then moving on to the next piece. So, so I, I buy into that, okay? I, I think that there's always, um, I think it's great to, 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 to be proud of what you've accomplished and, though, and proud of you know, your loved ones and, and others in the community, what they've accomplished. I think that that's, that, that part I agree with. Um, I also think that whatever you do is also foundational to what you're going to be doing next. Right, right. it's building okay. on it. Yes. Do you think that if you hadn't put in the, those uh, those hard years in radio, that you would be as comfortable as you are as an interviewer? I don't of course think so. not. Right. right. 
Um, same thing with all the experiences. So I think one of the challenges sometimes people have is, is uh, you know, they, uh, they take the pause and the pause becomes forever. <laughs> yeah, that's right? possible. Or yeah. what they do is they think, well, you know what? When I retire, I'm, I'm going to go, 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 go. And when I retire, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Now, my paternal grandfather, he was, he was a senior executive at, at Chrysler. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't remember his employee number, employee 13 or something like that. It was, that's where he started. He ended up as a senior VP there when he retired. Anyway, all throughout his, his life, he wanted to play the, the organ. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so when he retired, I remember this. Um, he and my grandmother bought this. Hammond organ, this big thing with lots of buttons and knobs and dials and whatever else. Yeah, I know them, yeah. Because he was going to, at the age of, in his uh, mid-60s, take organ lessons and play organ. The problem is, is this. If you've never sort of done it, by the time you're in your mid-60s or so, your fingers don't quite work the way they did in your 20s or 30s. And, and so he couldn't learn how to play the organ. And that became a symbol of, you know, great disappointment it wasn't long before the thing was gone yeah yeah oh, randall uh, milt harris who was a big leader in the jewish community he's passed away he's he started studying harpsichord when he was 70 and he did quite well about, uh, at it i heard him play L- from my friend lionel at beth davis 82 i think he just picked up the guitar he's doing quite well at it i so, mean no 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 offense to your grandfather no no not at <laughs> but, all but sometimes people are able to do it that's right my, my, and and, and uh, sadly, my grandfather wasn't one of them. Right. My point right. is, though, is this. Is that so often we put off, gee, when we retire, yeah. I'm going to do this. Once I'm married, I will do that. Gee, once we have kids, right. everything will be okay. Right. Gee, once I get this promotion, then I'll be set. And, and, and I guess my, my, my view is, is that if you wait until you're 65 or 83 or whatever it is before you're going to do something, You'll have missed a whole bunch of living. If you really wanted to play guitar, you know, why not pick it up at 65, not 83? If you really wanted to play the organ, why not start it while you're working? When you were in bed in the hospital and you blurted out, I'm going to write this musical, I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm correct, that that had been on your mind already. In other words, you had some idea as to where it came from, or am I wrong about that? Um, I did because at some point I harbored some some uh, desire at some point yeah. to songify um, a lot of these progressions. You know, I love playing them. I play with friends, etc. But but you know, I I'd never before actually written a song, okay, or any nonfiction for that matter. And I thought that that this would be a, a great thing to try and to do. And I knew some of the music was was. Uh, was 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 good you know um but on the other hand i hadn't had a chance to try this yet right and sometimes trying the new trying the new is is what's exciting oh it's so exciting right and and and, you know so if you fail big deal right big deal so a big shout out to my uh podcast coach his name is sean he's from hamilton he himself has a podcast it's called civilized pod uh, you can find it at civilizedpod.com. It's an improvised dark comedy sci-fi podcast recorded in Hamilton. It is a full cast audio fiction series with 12 episodes planned per season. 
12 to 15 minutes in duration. Now, here's the interesting thing. As Randall, I think you're going to like this. Um, it's kind of put together as they go. <laughs> the, the only thing they know at the top of the show when they're producing it is the title of it and, in essence, the direction they want to go. But other than that, it's very spontaneous. So I want to give him a shout out, mostly because he's helping me a lot with this podcast. He's also a very fine human being, a lovely guy. Uh, Sean Howard, he's a photographer. If you need one, let me know. And I'm also really excited about this that he's doing here. Uh, I, I, I love, I think you mentioned it before during our interview, um, the idea that there's so many creative folk out there. And I think social media aspects of it or maybe it in its entirety whatever however you want to qualify it is bringing out so much talent in our world i mean would you agree with this hmm. you know every sword has got a uh, you know two sides to it double-edged right and on one hand it's it's a great connector in the sense that all kinds of creatives can collaborate in ways that 10 or 15 years ago we wouldn't have even imagined possible right on the other hand, there's all kinds of people that spew hate or fake news and Correct. a whole bunch of other things um, that, frankly, can collaborate in ways that 10 or 15 years ago, no one would have possibly thought possible. Right. So so social media is, is really a function of what are the people doing on it and also, frankly, what the responsibilities of the platforms are, you know, um, there's a whole other sidebar that we could talk about with respect to the impact on brands and trust uh, because of the platforms. Um, but I think that's a, that's a whole other kettle of fish. But succinctly put, when you take a look at YouTube as an example and the stars that have come out of it and other platforms and the creativity that has been allowed to rise and to grow versus the old days when we were growing up, if you wanted to get... Uh, your music out there you needed a record deal that was far and few between and if you got one there was a really good chance they were going to rip you off here there's a certain purity to all this i don't disagree with you that there's a lot of nonsense that's coming out of social media as well but just focusing on the creative part um i think there's an awful lot that's there yeah but i think that there's an underlying problem uh that we haven't sort of figured out yet fully and 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 that's this you know um when all of us, any of us go on social media, effectively, we are the ones who are the product. Uh, you know, people have said that before, but, but we're just trying to understand now what that really means. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, uh, you're just getting into social media. Uh, Hat Radio is on the major platforms. Uh, you're a very intelligent guy. Thank you. So let me ask this question, Mr. Intelligent Guy. Yeah, here I am, yeah. <laughs> By the way, you know that no litigator worth his salt ever asks a question that they don't already know the answer to. I'm assuming that would be and the so, case. And, and so for, for your, for your, for your uh, listeners, let me just say yeah. that we haven't talked about this question. Mm. Um, talk to me about the uh, end user license that you read for Facebook. Did you read it? No. Okay. How about Twitter? No. How about Instagram? No. Okay. Uh, LinkedIn? No. YouTube? No. So how do you know that you, in fact, own... Um, this particular uh, the, this particular podcast. Yeah, I don't. Okay. How, well, how about Spotify? How about you Apple Music? Have not. <laughs> okay. I have not. Oh, let me ask another question. Yes. Okay. Um, when the advertisements appear, either before, during, on top of, or beside, how much money do you make from those advertisements? Right. None. None. Right. 
How about do you know the profiles, the people who are actually going to listen based on all these platforms? The answer to that is no as well. Right. There's some very basic stuff that they share outside. Analytics. Basic analytics, really. Um, but that's one of the big problems. All this hasn't shaken out, really. Yeah. So as a creative, how do you know that, in fact, you aren't really, um, you aren't really uh, just um, giving your stuff for somebody else to monetize? And in fact, you know, there, there's what? Over 500-odd social media sites out there. Yeah. Um, you know, in a couple of years, there won't be that many because many of them don't have a business model. One of them shut down a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, I got the email. It was a, a website called uh, booktour.com. Right. So, you know, if you've written a bunch of books, uh, when you're in a different city, you sort of say, I'm going to be there, and, and this is where I'm going to be to sign books, etc. And you have all these communications back and forth. With, good idea. Oh, it is. Okay. Until, and by the way, I posted up my uh, a whole bunch of my books there. I had all these conversations. It was, it was a great thing. Until I got an email that said, <laughs> we're done. We're very sorry to inform you that as of such and such a date, we're shutting down. Yeah. And all of our data will not be available. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, hold it here. I had all these great conversations, all this great content I created. I had all these contacts, all these lists of people that I wanted to, you know, you know, blast out to. And all that stuff wasn't available to me anymore. And then I realized something. What they said was actually true. All of... The content, all of our content will not be available. The, the the license agreement was anything you post up there is theirs. Right. The contacts, the content, everything. And so that's the challenge with social media. The thing that we really need to do as a creative, though, is we need to find a way to actually own our own platforms rather than being prostituting ourselves, literally, for no money on all these other ones and then of course the other side of me says well one second there's a huge audience that's on twitter there's a huge audience that's on facebook how could we not go there yeah and this is classic game theory that the social platforms have been playing for years and we've been we've been willing accomplices because we want access to all those eyeballs but while we're doing that for free what we're doing is we're giving up a whole bunch of things that we're just oh, now you. figuring out. I, I, I hear you, and you you make your point very clearly. And it is something that I think if someone's not conscious of, they will be if they're doing this sort of stuff. And, uh, you, can, and you can't not be there. You, 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 right, I understand that completely. I, I guess my point was very succinct in terms of I, I, I surf the internet like everybody else does. It's late at night, it's 11 o'clock, my son's gone to sleep. And I come out here, I figure, okay, I'm going to listen to some great music. I'm going to hear some great interviews. And I do. And they're all there. And I'm overwhelmed by the level of information, the level of music that's out there, and my ability to access it. So um, that's the side of it that I was really focusing on. Although I, I completely understand <laughs> your point. And for one who does what you do, it makes total sense for that to be your comeback. So, yeah, I get it. And, I get and, it. And by the way... Uh, I'm not the only one who does what I do. You now with this podcast are doing what I do. Right. Um, I, I will say, though, that the creativity that you see, unfettered by, uh, by the major networks or traditional That's nice. uh, creative um, gatekeepers, yes. is just fantastic. Howard Stern would agree with you. He would. Yes, he absolutely would. Do you like Howard Stern? 
you know what? I think that he had a time and place, and he was able to push boundaries in ways that uh, that, that others couldn't on 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 a platform yeah. that was very 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 restrictive. Um, you know, now that he's kind of uh, you know on his own little place, you know, I, I think that anybody who wants that brand of entertainment knows exactly where to go and, and right. for those who are offended by him they don't need to go there yeah we agree on that so uh we're gonna have to wrap this up uh, much to my chagrin i i really enjoyed getting to know you oh likewise you know it's interesting because when i do hat radio more often than not the majority of the times the people who sit in your seat where you're sitting right now i know them but you and I have never met. No, no. Right? And this was a wonderful opportunity to get to know one another on the air. <laughs> I was just going to say, didn't even cost me a, a cup of coffee. But... Right, right. You didn't have to buy me coffee. Exactly. So. And I, and I, and I want to tell you something, that you're a very inspiring guy. You oh, really are. Thank you. You know, God should continue to bless you with, uh, with health, and uh, you should have many years on this earth. Um, but you're, uh, you're, you're one of those guys who's highly inspirational. You really are because mm. you do so much, you've done so much. And my, my sense is you have plans for the future to do a lot more. And, uh, to me, that's really motivating. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, honestly, Randall. And I want people to listen to the show and walk away from it. Sort of like you were saying before is like, I want to do this stuff too. You know, I want to write my musical too. Right. Uh, but thank, thank you so much for saying that. You know, the musical just happens to be my, my current. That, that's your thing. Um, yeah. my, my current thing. But everybody's got their own version of fill in the blank yes. that they need to do. As an example. Correct. Yes. I would ask people, too, to be conscious, you know, of the world in which we live in, the, the city which we live in. There, There is a wonderful organization downtown Toronto called Native Child and Family Services of Toronto. It's a multi-service urban Aboriginal agency providing holistic culture-based programs and services for aboriginal children and families go online study up on them they're really quite quite impressive uh as to what they do and we we have a a a very large aboriginal population here in toronto in ontario there's always a sense that uh, most natives live on uh, reserves the truth of the matter is that most natives are urbanites um, and the Native Child and Family Service of Toronto is there to assist, to help, to make people's lives better. Take a look. Be involved. If it's not the Native community, well, make sure that you're conscious of other things that are going on within our community, issues, struggles, ways and means that you can use your strengths and you can use your talents and you can use your blessings to make other people's lives better. Because let's face it, at the end of our days, and we should all live long and healthy lives, you know, you're, you're coming to the, that last blink. Um, this is what you're going to say. You're going to say, did I use my time well? Did I use it in a quality, quality, qualitative way? Did I help others? That's going to be a key question. So, Take a look around if you're not involved in an issue and apply yourself, man, because that's a huge part of life. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, in, in particular, I want to thank Randall Craig once again. You've been a lovely guest, and I've so, so enjoyed this. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. You've been listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes. Do you like that, show that schmoozes? If it works for you. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> and God bless. In an increasingly complex world, 
Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor Hat Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig. Sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room. Share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned. Keeping the flame of faith burning. I want to know where you've been. What you found out. Spread some light in the darkness. Spread it all about In the hat In the hat Put it all in the hat